Well, welcome to the podcast once again. I'm your host, Giles Stevens, and the purpose of this podcast is to help you grow in wisdom and to experience the favor of the Lord on all that you do. I like to put it into this catchphrase that we should learn with pleasure, uh, live in abundance, and love without condition. I think that makes for a really great life. Last week on the episode, you heard a clip from a mentoring session that I've been doing with evangelists right around the world, people who are sharing this incredible message of grace and favor through literally trusting in somebody else's work, through trusting in Christ and what he's done rather than what we do. And I opened up a session for questions and answers. And these guys, and they come from all, all sorts of parts of the world, and some really, really difficult places to to even be a believer, even practice one's faith, let alone share it with somebody else. And the questions I felt were so good and so relevant, even for those of you who are listening in the West. Um, it's really good to understand how you should operate and connect with people even in difficult circumstances and so this week I thought I'd put a couple or three or four more questions that I answered to those young men and I think you're going to find it really edifying as well okay so sit back enjoy after the music you'll hear those questions coming my way and uh, I'll see you again at the end of the show What is the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire? Is there a difference? Okay, well, I believe there is a difference because if not, why would it be in Scripture? John the Baptist said, the one coming after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus of Nazareth went around every place doing good, healing those who are oppressed of the devil. How does it go? No, yeah, who God anointed with the spirit and power is the scripture. And so you see here that in two different occasions, and there are others as well, but I won't go into them for time's sake. But you see there's the, the scripture talks about the baptism of the spirit and something. The baptism of the spirit and power, anointed with the spirit and power, baptized in the spirit and fire. So fire and power seem to be something extra. Now, obviously, all things come from the spirit. Now, we're dealing with spiritual issues. So you don't necessarily want to think in too much of a black and white way. We're dealing with another dimension here. So it's not necessarily two plus two equals four. All right. So all things come of the spirit. But it seems that fire is an additional component or power is an additional component. And if you think about it, there are many Christians who are baptized in the spirit. They speak in tongues, but they don't move in power. They don't contaminate people with Holy Ghost fire. So it seems that there is a component that they lack. All right. And that can be added to or at least manifested through them that they've yet to manifest and that's the point all things are of the spirit but i believe that power and fire are an extra dimension of the spirit 
that many believers have yet to access. It's not that they can't because it's in the spirit. Okay. But they just either haven't been told it. Okay. They don't, they don't understand this side of the power gifts, the fire of the Holy spirit. They are just ignorant to that. And remember what Paul taught about, he said, brethren, do not be ignorant regarding the gifts of the spirit. So if he said that, it means that lots of Christians are ignorant. They don't know. What is ignorance when you don't know? So they don't know because they haven't been informed. You know, it's like Apollos. Apollos came to the disciples. And, you know, he'd heard about the baptism of John, but not of Jesus. Do you follow? Oh, sorry. The, 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 sorry, I'm talking about the disciples in, in Ephesus. had heard of the baptism of John, but not of the baptism of Jesus. So then Paul baptizes them in the name of Jesus. Apollos comes, and likewise, he doesn't know about the Spirit. So people exist at levels of ignorance. If we're honest, we're all ignorant today about something. If you think you're not ignorant about anything, then you are really ignorant. The wise person knows that he's ignorant about stuff, and that's why he's always searching and seeking for more, wanting to learn. All right, that's wisdom. So there are, there are, there's ignorance, there's darkness in our souls, our minds, about the things of the spirit still. And one of those areas of ignorance is about these dimensions of the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking particularly about the gifts of the spirit because there are power gifts. Remember the gifts of the spirit, nine of them, okay? And three of them are power gifts, okay? So the gift of faith, the gift of healing, and the gift of miracles. So when you flow in those, when you believe in those, then you'll start moving in the Holy Spirit and power, all right, or and fire. It is a different thing, but it's not that you don't have it. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you already have it within you, power within you, fire within. It's just not manifesting yet because of a lack of faith, because you've not known about it, all right? So now that you know, you should go for it. And I believe that all believers should have that dimension to their ministries. Now, listen to me. Some believers choose not to have it. It might sound shocking, but it's true. I know many pastors who have chosen not to have the power or the fire side of the baptism. So they don't mind speaking in tongues, but they might even not do that in public. Can I be really honest with you? Billy Graham chose not to speak in tongues in public. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but he chose not to speak about speak in tongues in public or even teach about it because he felt that it would divide the churches and he wanted to work with all the churches. It was a decision of his. He'll have to talk to the Lord about that. I don't know how the Lord sees that. I'm not here to judge. Okay. But likewise, many pastors refuse to move in power and in fire because when you move in power and fire, there are manifestations. People fall, people tremble, people shake, people cry, people laugh. All that kind of stuff happens. And there are many pastors who get uncomfortable with that or they feel that those things will stop others coming for, to Christ. So they choose not to move in the power gifts. Now, again, I'm not here to judge. That's a decision they've made before the Lord. I made my decision personally with the Lord because I felt that pressure too, especially when I was in England, okay, and people would, you know, 
be scandalized or a little bit shocked when they saw people falling over and trembling and all that kind of stuff. And I felt that pressure. If these manifestations happen in my meetings, will it stop people coming to church? There's a pressure. But I made my decision. I said, Lord, I didn't try and do this. These manifestations, I'm not causing them. I'm just preaching, giving opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move. So who am I to shut down the move of God? Who am I to stop them happening if you're healing people? And let me tell you this, guys. I've seen so many people heal. I'm just amazed. I really am amazed. I mean, every day, I just, it's so precious. I get stories come back to me from when I went here or when I prayed there or when I visited here, stories from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, from last week. Oh, Giles, when you laid hands on that guy, he got up the next day, absolutely fine. And it's like, wow, that's just such a privilege to be used by God in these gifts. I, how could I deny, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny that I've made my decision. Lord, if there are power gifts to be used, I'm going to use them. It may look weird to some people. But then again, you know, why should I shut down that side of my ministry just because it looks weird to somebody else? You're hearing what I'm saying? Lord, have mercy. We need to, if, if, we're, if we're led by the fear of man, by the opinions of man, how far are we really going to go? So I would prefer to be criticized by some and yet get others healed and saved. It's just a decision I've made. Maybe you get a different word from God. Maybe God says to you, no, don't move in that because I don't know. You deal with it. I'm just telling you what I, I decided. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, and it, and and but I, I'll be honest. Because I move in those gifts, I know certain churches won't work with me. I know certain pulpits are closed to me because I move in those gifts. I'd you know I'd love it if it weren't. I know I know that that's the case though. If there are seeker sensitive churches, they probably won't want to work with my kind of ministry. They'll want to work with a guy who's very eloquent in speech, does a simple gospel appeal. And then it's the benediction and amen, let's go home. Okay, so I get that. I'd, I'd love to be able to work with everyone. I, I've got nothing against any of these churches. I personally believe theologically that things like speaking in tongues, gifts and healings and things, that attracts people to Christ. It doesn't push them away from Christ. Okay, but again, Paul gives a, a, an orientation to the church he says if you speak in tongues in public in a public service interpret it so you know if tongues happen if in, in a crusade then i tell people what's happening likewise if somebody starts manifesting with demons instead of like leaving the crowd everybody oh what's going on this is really weird i say to them look the reason why he's shaking is because he's been possessed by a demon and that demon's coming out now and so you just talk people through it. I think that proves the existence of God. I mean, I, I remember reading a book by Maria Woodworth Etta, an evangelist, an old, a little old lady in the States, a hundred and she, she operated in the late 1800s. And some of the, the miracles that happened in her ministry, are absolutely extraordinary. But she wrote something like she believed that healing was the most powerful sign that God exists. And the, mo and the thing that the devil hates most because it's real proof. And that's why he's against it. Because suddenly the, God, the invisible God of heaven is suddenly now present 
physically in a sense or, or touching physical matter on earth. That's a different type of God now. It's not just some guy sitting on a cloud out there somewhere. You've suddenly got a real now present and powerful God moving and everybody can see it. That's what creates faith, I think, in the living God. So that's um, my answer to that question about moving in, in fire and power and so forth. All right. Some long answers to short questions, but I hope you find this uh, encouraging. Let's just have a quick look with the time we have. We've got a few minutes left at your questions. Sorry, I'm doing most of the talking today, but please use the comment section as well. This is from Prudvi. I'll read it out, brother. Hi, Pastor. Last two days, one of the pastors in Hyderabad got arrested as he spoke against false gods and preached the gospel. He even made debates with a few fanatics who are showing everything false about the Bible and social media. That's the reason the local political leaders and Hindu groups filed the case against him. And now he's in jail due to persecution. My question is, what should be the strategies for evangelism in these situations? Would help us because now street evangelism almost became impossible in India. You're right. Well, I'm kind of conscious of that because we've spoken about these things before, haven't we, Prudvi? And to be honest, I think what you are doing, and I think, you know, guys like George as well, you know, and even, even over there in Kazakhstan and other places, you're evangelizing primarily through good works initially to soften hearts. It's not that you're going out onto a street corner, standing on a box and shouting out the name of Jesus. You can't do that now. So what you're doing actually is, is visiting people, um, offering a, a service to help them. I think you were doing courses to teach people to sew, isn't that right? And, and, and that shows them, you know, it's good works evangelism. It, it let, it, you, you're showing your good works before men. And Jesus said that will cause them to fall down and worship. So you're using that as a strategy rather than the kind of aggressive preacher strategy. That's just as valid. That's just as valid. Use good works. And likewise, some of you guys who are in Muslim nations where you don't have the same liberties, you know, I mentioned George, really what you're doing is you're kind of knocking on doors, making friends with families. And when you sense they are open to have a conversation, then you bring up the subject. But you're not wearing a label saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower. And, and let me say this as well, because, I mean, I know England is very different than where most of you guys are at. But when I started the church in Swindon, I didn't know anybody in that town to, you know, I just had my family with me. And so what I did was I invited our neighbors for tea. And um, interestingly, these neighbors were German. They were working for BMW in Swindon, where they had a plant. They were managers there. And uh, when we had them over for tea, and, and this is what I suggest you, I didn't preach to them. You know, all that Sylvia and I did, we just asked them questions. We just showed an interest in their lives. We just said, wow, what, what is a nice young couple like you from Germany doing in a place like this in Swindon? You know, tell us your story. Why do you, you know, and we spoke about cars and BMW and Mercedes Benz and who's the best. 
And then, and then, you know, we are, and, and how did you guys meet? Tell us the love story. Tell us how, how did you fall in love? Was it love at first sight? And they tell us that story. And wow. Now you've got two beautiful kids is, you know, is, is this always been a dream of yours to have a big family? What's it like in Germany raising? And so they tell us that story. And, you know, I've discovered this people really like talking about themselves and they feel valued when they do, because they've, you know, when they when you listen and you're genuinely interested in their lives and you want the best for them, that that shows that comes across really quickly. They open up their hearts. And this is the tendency, the natural pro progress or process of a conversation is when you ask somebody lots of questions and show a, a real interest in their life, sooner or later, they're going to start asking you questions in return. So then they start asking, well, how did you two meet? I mean, you're from Brazil, is it, Sylvie? And Giles is an Englishman. And wow, where did you meet? And so Sylvie tells a bit of her story. And why are you guys in Swindon? And, you know, and so we tell a bit more of our story. And then, of course, our story is impossible to explain without bringing Jesus into it. So still, we're not preaching to them. We're not evangelizing. All we're doing is just showing how Jesus transformed our lives. And then suddenly they're like, wow, he did that for you. He healed you of that and he brought you here and he provided you for that and da-da-da. Wow. We say, yeah, yeah, we've just discovered he's such a good God. And I tell you what, you know, if there's anything we can pray for you, just as people pray for us and our lives are changed, we're here to pray for anything, you know, whether it's personal, relational, business. We've just seen how God is so good and you get him involved in your life and, you know, things turn around. So we're here for you. So by the end of the tea, you just had a two-hour conversation. You know, then you just say, hey, if you want to talk again, what we're going to do is we're going to have tea every Saturday afternoon, invite a few friends up. Why don't you come back? And that's how we started the church. That's how we won our first believers. So my point is this. You don't have to do the crusade route. You don't have to do the soapbox route. You don't have to wear the T-shirt. In some, Often, I think that can be worse. I know Christians love to wear T-shirts to tell the world, to witness through their T-shirts. For me, I'm not, a, I'm not really that big on T-shirts. I'd prefer my attitude to speak, my interest in people to speak, my love, my compassion, you know, because especially in your countries, if you let people know that you're a Jesus follower too quickly, they shut the door on you and you don't get another chance. It's rather like being a fisherman. If you try to bring the fish into the boat too soon, you pull on that line, the fish will break the line. So you've got to feel your way forward by the spirit. Anyhow, Prudvi, uh, you know, I know the Lord's going to lead you. He already is leading you. I think you're doing the right thing. I just encourage you to keep doing that. And I think all of you in some senses are in the same situation. Okay. Um, George is asking, hi, pastor, I have a Muslim friend. I have given him the good news many times. When I talk to him, I try to give him the full gospel. He understand everything, but he don't give any response. He behaves like not understanding nothing. So how can I tell the gospel to such people? Well, you know, George, I mean, this is part of the human psyche. People hate to show their vulnerability. They hate to show their ignorance. Most of us, when we're in public conversations, we, we're, we're hiding behind a false image of ourselves. We want to show somebody, we want to project somebody who 
who knows all the answers, whose life is organized, who, who is completely sure of ourselves. So it, what I'm saying is it's a big show. Most human beings are living a show, living a performance. They're on stage, they're, they're, they're acting. They're like Hollywood stars. Be patient because a lot of people, it takes time for the barriers to come down. Very few people get saved initially. There's some studies done about how often somebody needs to hear about Jesus before they actually come to the Lord. And I think one of you guys posted, wasn't it? Was it, was it your dad, um, Nora? I think your dad said that somebody, well, or him himself, he read the Quran for how many years before he converted? I'm sorry, he, he compared the Quran with the Bible for how many years? Three years. Three years. Three years comparing. Okay. Well, I, I was reading a story. I can't remember who was telling me recently. Somebody, I think, read it for like 10 or 20 years before they converted. So my point is this. Be patient with people because really they're afraid. And these, these barriers are up because of fear. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look ignorant. Or we're worried that if we make a decision for Christ, what the, what the implications of that would be. So we're not ready for that persecution or criticism. And so the, the real person is behind the exterior person. And I think, George, that person is listening to you. Even though they're pretending to be ignorant and pretending not to understand, I think deep down they're, they're, they are listening. I mean, there is a spiritual side and the devil could be blocking their mind. So keep praying as well. Okay. Keep praying as well. But be patient. You know, in the end, what you sow, you'll reap. And I think if this friend of yours is still coming back for more, that's a good sign. They're still open to talk to you. That means they're, they're, they're receiving something, aren't they? And if they're receiving something, then you can keep watering the seed you've planted in their hearts. And let's remember this, some, when you plant a seed, some plants, some trees, they, they show the shoots immediately. You know, I think the daffodil is one of the fastest growing flowers. Kind of plant that, water that and it shoots up, okay? But there are other trees like the bamboo tree. I think when you plant bamboo, it disappears for two years. You don't see it for two or three years. Why? Because it's growing downwards, its roots, before it grows its shoots. But the bamboo tree, interestingly, when it does shoot up, the, the physical eye can see it growing. It's growing so quickly. Like, you know, normally if you look at a tree, you'd never see it growing. The bamboo, you can even see it growing. So it grows inches every day. Every day it grows, I think, three or six inches. I can't remember. I think you've got to have faith right now that your friend is kind of like the bamboo tree. What you're, what you're sowing, you know, is actually going in. It's going deeper, but it's not showing yet. So just be patient, yeah? Hallelujah. It's always good when we have friends who are patient with us. And then Rakesh, let's finish with your question. We're, we're coming up to our, our, the, the end of this, this particular Zoom meeting. But let's have a look. Here in our village, the Hindu uneducated people are thinking, when we go for the gospel that our God, Jesus Christ, belongs only, uh, when, we, when, we, when we preach the gospel, that, that Jesus Christ belongs only to the, the, the scheduled caste, 
and backward class people, as this was the opinion of the people here. How can we remove this kind of hindrance? So what you're saying is that, are you saying that the educated people say that Jesus is only for the uneducated? What I'm trying to tell you, uh, in India, we have a caste system. Yep. It is so, something like uh, uh, white people and the black people pastor. Just like, yeah. So there is a caste system. There is many castes are there in India. Yep. So uh, in Hindu religious, uh, some caste, high caste people, they have more money. So they, they think that only Jesus belongs to only low caste people. Yeah. So there is no need of gospel for us. So some people thinking like that. So how we can remove that uh, uh, opinion from their hearts? That stigma. Well, I, yeah, I know about that. And of course, the, I think there are eight caste levels, aren't they? Eight castes and the highest of the Brahms. Is that right? And, yeah, yeah. And, and then you have the other levels below. And, and, and you're right. It often goes in, in lines of education as well. So there's a natural prejudice um, against Christianity because it's associated with the poor, despised, low caste. I, I get that. I get that. Well, that's, yeah, that, that's a stronghold. You know, when, when we deal with things like that, that's a stronghold in people's minds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is something that holds you strongly. So it's a fortress in somebody's mind, okay? And when you have a, a fortress, it means that you're not open to any consideration on that topic, okay? And a stronghold will hold someone strongly until something stronger comes along. Do you get it? So here's the deal, really. You never can expel darkness unless you shine light. You can never remove a lie in a stronghold. Our lies, you can't remove a lie unless truth is expressed, okay? And I think one of the things that we have to remember, like I said, right at the beginning of this, this session, is that few people come to Christ when everything's going well. If you look at your own story, you know, you come to Christ in a moment of crisis. And so, and it's the crisis that rocks your world. It's the crisis that makes you question life or question your belief or question what's out there. And no human being is exempt from crisis, whether it's an existential crisis, you know, what's my purpose here on earth? Everybody questions, what am I doing here on earth? What's my life about? Where do I come from? Where do I go to when I die? Those kind of crises that everybody has those moments when they're questioning. Likewise, we have crisis in terms of whether it be a financial crisis, suddenly like, boy, nobody, you know, I can't help myself and nobody can help me. And, you know, that rocks your world. That breaks up the stronghold because it makes you open to question or even to look elsewhere for answers if you can't find the answers that you need. It could be like the death of a loved one. You know, it's like, wow, what happened there? What, you know? Or somebody gets sick and no one else can, you know, and, and medicine doesn't resolve the problem. All these things cause crisis. And, you know, I think one of the reasons, in a sense, that the Lord permitted the pandemic, I'm not saying he created the pandemic, that's a devilish thing, but he permits some trouble to come 
so that people are shaken from a full sense of security. Okay, Even in the life of Job, why did God permit Satan to attack Job? It was Satan's doing, nothing to do with God, but God did permit it. But you can see that God permits it for two reasons. The simple reason is that Job gets doubly blessed at the end of it. We know that when he prayed for his friends, you know, he gets twice as much blessing, twice as much riches. He has a second family. So he gets the double blessing. But actually, there's a bigger reason. Through the process, Job goes from being quite self-righteous. You know, look at me. I'm a holy guy. I give offerings. I pray for my kids every day. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That's self-righteousness. So it goes from being self-righteous to being God-righteous. Like, I am a believer because of God's goodness, because of his righteousness. He goes from knowing about God to knowing God personally. So, you, you know, it, so God allows that situation to come, to take Job out of, his, out of the position where he's locked into, into a much deeper relationship with him. I think you have to be open to perceiving these moments in people's lives or in communities' lives. I was on a camp just this week with a group of pastors, and I gave a word there about discerning the times. And I, I just said, I'm going to give you a, a historical perspective, and then I'm going to give you a prophetic perspective of what's happening. I said this, I said, in 1945, World War II ended, and Europe had been devastated, over 100 million dead, many others wounded, countries destroyed, cities flattened, just devastation. In that devastation, God raised up a young preacher called Billy Graham. And through the late 40s into the 50s and 60s, this guy and other evangelists too traveled the world preaching the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. And the crowds that came were phenomenal. Thousands, hundreds of thousands were saved. Many leaders and fathers of the church in England, they were saved in those crusades. You know, now it's the next generation, but it just set the church up on a different level. Okay. Let's look at communism. In 1991, the Berlin Wall came down, the Soviet Union broke up, communism was effectively defeated in many parts of Europe, and nation states that had been under the oppressive hand of a socialist system were liberated from this atheistic, communistic, dictatorial state, and now they could believe that what they wanted and have the faith that they wanted. At that time, there were churches that had missionaries ready to go into those nations, and and some of you guys, I mean, looking at the boys, you know, from Kazakhstan, that's really a result of that moment where missionary organizations could send in preachers for the first time. So what am I saying is that times of crisis God uses to get the gospel out. Now, I believe, I, say, I said on this pastor's camp, I said, look, that's the historical case, historical perspective. Now let's look at the prophetic perspective. Right now, we've been in a worldwide lockdown and a worldwide pandemic. That's a whole lot of shaking going on. Why has God permitted it? I believe to, be, to shake people up, to be more open to hearing the gospel. It's All it's done is ripened the harvest. So I say that to you as well, Rakesh. You know, in India, there's going to be trouble coming. You've already got trouble. But the point is this, whether it's at a personal level, a community level, or a national level, you need to be there when trouble comes to have the word of hope in Christ. So 
the people who are kind of judging you and saying, oh, we're not interested in that because it's a low caste issue. To be honest, they're not, they don't have ears to hear yet. Don't give up on them. But when, you've, when they're struggling, when they've had a crisis, go back to them and say, look, I know we've chatted before. You won't open to what I have to say, but hey, let me pray for you in this era. I hear you, you don't have a job or I hear a member of your family died or whatever it is, or you're struggling in your marriage. Let me pray for you because I've discovered this, that life can turn around because of the presence of Christ, the blessing of Christ. Okay. So look for the crisis moments. Okay. Look for the crisis moments. But like I said, if people aren't men of peace, if they're full of strongholds, you're going to be throwing pearls before swine. And so you don't invest there. Keep the doors open, but don't invest there. Find people who are struggling, who are suffering. They'll be much more open to you. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. Well, I trust you really enjoyed that session. These young people who are doing such great things for the Lord in their own lives and ministry and really shining like bright lights in a fairly dark environment. And uh, it's just so wonderful to be able to get behind them, encourage them, teach them and, and give them tools to be able to uh, share their faith and build great churches and ministries in in fairly difficult uh, situations and environments. Um, so I just thank you for listening in. I pray that some of this stuff you can apply into your own situation. And also I'd like to take this opportunity, if you want to get behind one of these young people who are out there uh, literally working in the missionary field day in, day out, I run a ministry called The Great Mission, and we have a goal to get the gospel of grace into 196 countries in the next 10 years. I've got 12 of these young guys who I'm mentoring at the moment and sponsoring, and they're doing events in their countries. Uh, we're going to be doubling that next year to 24 and keep on multiplying until we get to 196. If you feel led in your heart, if your heart was touched, today and you just want to be part of what this uh, ministry is doing then we'd love to have you on board as a partner you can find out more information by visiting our site www.thegreatmission.org really appreciate your interest so thanks very much for tuning in and i very much look forward to seeing you and being with you again next week god bless you